Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. Do you smell what Barack is cooking? You didn't build that. Give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll, kiss. I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. This podcast is brought to you by T, the Empowerment Alliance. The Empowerment Alliance fights for affordable, clean, domestic, and abundant energy for America's energy independence. They want to keep the politics in this podcast and out of the energy industry. If you want to learn more about what the Empowerment Alliance is fighting for or help support the work they're doing, please visit the T website. There'll be a link in the show notes, and I can tell you that they are incredibly passionate about promoting America's energy independence, and I hope you'll check them out and sign up for their newsletter. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I am the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your diminutive ATM of reckless opinion. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. Now, this episode is going to be a little different than our usual format. In this episode, this is a bonus episode we're doing for our sponsor where we use a, uh, a news uh, article piece, a piece of content from their newsletter. Um, and I kind of just pontificate on that for a little while and and will render some of my reckless opinions upon it, waltzed sitting ex-cathedra here in my creaky yet comfortable office chair. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. And today, the um, the particular item we're going to talk about, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive. And this um, newsletter article that I'm picking is actually from uh, today. And today, the date of recording is... 7 April 2023, and that's the date this newsletter came out. And the particular um, one, the particular newsletter I'm looking at talks a lot about um, HR1, which uh, just recently passed. Now, this newsletter has a lot of other things in it. It talks about um, how America's natural gas, the world's cleanest, most affordable, and reliable energy, um, how the Bay Area is set to phase out natural gas furnaces and water heaters by 2027, Biden issues a first veto rejecting a bill to reverse the ESG rule, and um, Republicans' pro-energy push leaves uh, industry unimpressed, and Tennessee law prevents local bans on gas stoves. So that's all the interesting stuff happening here. Um, so let's let's kind of go into HR HR one here a little bit. So HR one, also known as the Lower Energy Cost Act, uh, recently passed the House of Representatives, and um, the vote on it. It's 175 pages of uh, energy reform. The vote was overall 225 for, 204 against. And if you're curious about the party breakdown, 221. Uh, for it on the along the Republican lines, one Republican against it, four Democrats for it, two hundred and three against it. So um, technically bipartisan in the strictest sense of the term, but very heavily a partisan vote for the most part, aside from 
effectively five outliers that voted against the parties, their respective parties. So what does it do? Well, based off the House's site on this and the actual document and the, the summary from the Republican Party on this, as well as a little bit of deeper digging into the actual 175-page document itself, it does a number of things. And I'm going to go through each of these bullet points and kind of uh, talk about them and render a few opinions on them, uh, and then we'll go from there. So first off, it's supposed to expedite energy projects. Um, primarily, the way it does this is through a number of um, reforms and timetables it sets on how quickly that certain environmental investigations have to happen and um, uh, how quickly it speeds up the process of actually getting permits for things. So that's how it does that. Reduces or eliminates certain fees related to development of federal energy resources. Um, primarily, it cuts down some royalty fees uh, down a couple of percent, and it also gets rid of some fees on methane emissions. And, um, yeah, so it does that. Eliminates certain funds that provide incentives to decrease emission of greenhouse gases. We'll go into more detail on that in a minute, but basically it's a uh, gets rid of a few funds that are used for um, – pro-climate, quote-unquote, uh, related um, uh, funds that are used uh, that were set up during a law that was passed last year, the um, Inflation Reduction Act, I believe it was. Uh, let's see. It waives environmental review requirements and other specific requirements under certain environmental laws. And it doesn't really waive them so much as it puts a time limit on how long they can take. Right now, they're kind of – they can last as long as they want, and this puts a timetable on it and um, – forces them to be done within a certain window, and that's ultimately kind of a good thing. Um, and eliminates certain restrictions on import and export of oil and natural gas. That's also a fairly good thing. That um, makes it easier to sell what we've got overseas and places like Europe that could really benefit from our natural gas supply if we could get it out there more easily. Uh, prohibits the president from declaring a moratorium on use of hydraulic fracturing. So basically prevents the president from, um, from being the one responsible for deciding whether or not fracking is allowed or not allowed. It puts all that in the hands of Congress. I think that provision is a little short-sighted. Uh, the Republicans want that in there right now because they're the ones in control of the House narrowly. But there's no guarantee they're going to stay that way. And yeah, I, you know, I, I can foresee an election and a cycle or two where – there's a Republican in the White House, and they want to change this because it's just not fair that Congress controls this and not the president. So we'll see how that pans out for him. Um, let's see here. What else we got? We got uh, it directs the Department of the Interior to conduct sales for leasing oil and gas resources on federal lands and waters, uh, as specified by the bill. Specifically, it requires four annual sales per state in nine different states for oil and gas drilling and exploration rights. Um you know, not unexpected there, you know, so not much to it. Uh, limits the authority of the president to and executive agencies to restrict or delay development for energy on federal land. Puts that in the hands of Congress. Again, that to me is kind of a short-sighted, you know, that's a little bit of a short-sighted provision. The Republicans only want that because, you know, they want to put that in the hands of the House because that's the only part of the federal government they've got right now. So there's that. Um Moving right along, transfers, border permitting from the president to the Department of the Energy. Still an executive department, so not really too much of a change there. Reduces royalties on oil and gas development on federal lands and eliminates charges on methane emissions. Takes the royalties from 16.67% down to 12.5%. Um, 
Again, the whole idea is to make exploration on federal lands a more attractive and appealing option. And it puts speedier time limits on approval process for permits and energy and infrastructure projects. That's a really big piece of this, and that's a really important piece of this. And honestly, it's something that both Democrats and Republicans are going to want. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about it now, actually. So. One of the big issues is obviously the permitting process is Byzantine at best for getting any kind of energy project approved. And obviously oil and gas companies want this because that's their whole life, right? That's that's what they exist to do. On the other hand, the Democrats kind of want this particular provision to go through as well because quite frankly um, – there's a lot of, of renewable energy projects that are tied up in permitting, and they have to go through the same laborious permitting process, and that's no fun. And the Democrats are starting to feel that that legislative and regulatory burn on a lot of these uh, renewable pet projects they've got. And so this is probably one of the key areas where there's going to be some room for, um, for movement on a, a bill that's going to have some focus on this. Historically, the past 6 to 12 months, the Republicans and the Democrats have been coming at this from two different angles. The Democrats' solution has been something akin to the let's put more money towards it and more staffing to provide more people for doing the permitting, whereas the Republicans are like, let's just make the process simpler, let's cut it down, and let's you know move it along that way. And on this case, I'm actually kind of with the Republicans on this one. Uh, I don't want to spend more money on another federal bureaucratic agency. I would rather we just make the process simpler, more streamlined, and more up-to-date, and I think that's the obvious solution. So that is something that I do want to see happen, and I'm, I'm with them on this one. It also changes the classification of uranium, making it easier to be added to the critical minerals list that the federal government prioritizes. Um, originally, it was classified as critical under Trump. I don't know why it wasn't there before, but there we are. Uh, Biden removed it because he considered it a fuel mineral. And um, so now they're trying to, you know, get it taken out of that fuel mineral category and, um, you know, move back to the critical minerals list. I don't really understand necessarily why this particular thing is in here. It certainly has nothing to do with lowering prices of energy, uh, but obviously uranium is a strategically valuable mineral, both in nuclear power, um, weapons, uh, and all of that. So I think um, that seems like an obviously kind of thing, but for some reason it's contentious. And I, I haven't done enough research to know specifically why in this case there's such a big spat over that with whether or not it's considered a critical mineral or not. I just don't know. Um, also, this would repeal several provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, it would end programs to reduce methane emissions uh, from the oil and gas sector where these companies could previously get grants. It cuts funding for climate-friendly projects, and it um, stops companies from being issued fines on excess emissions. Now, this is where it's catching a fair amount of heat uh, from non-Republicans, and that is that it really makes this particular thing um, look like it's uh, pandering to the oil industry. It also didn't help when McCarthy had his victory lap speech that he was surrounded by oil and gas executives. That kind of wasn't a great look either. Which, by the way, guys in Washington, do you all not have PR people to look at these scenarios and say, hey, if you do this, it's not going to play really well? If you need a PR guy, 
give me a call and email me at jordan.driscoll at OGGN.com. Um, because someone needs to tell you not to do that before you get in front of cameras and do a speech, okay? Just throwing that out there. Um, but a lot of the non-Republicans are going to and have begun to balk at this because it does appear to be doing something that entirely panders to a special interest of the energy sector. Uh, on the other hand, the idea is, again, to make everything easier, more friendly, and um, and all of that. And and like I said, there's just a lot of ways that can be interpreted. And if you don't spin it the right way, it's, it's, it's not going to look good. Okay, so now that we've established what's in the bill, what are my overall thoughts? Well, overall, first off, I don't think this bill is going to go anywhere. Not this iteration of it anyway, and we'll, we'll talk about that in depth here in a second. But what I will say is there are a couple of key things in here that are really good that we really want. And then there's a couple of provisions that I think are honestly just throwaway provisions that they're just trying to shotgun out to see if they could slip it past anybody. The core things here that I I think are especially important is one, our ability to sell oil and gas on the open market internationally more easily, specifically natural gas to Europe. I think that's important. I think there's a big opportunity there that we could be leveraging. And I also think that um, I think that making the permitting process easier and less onerous is is extremely critical and you know honestly that that goes beyond oil and gas i just think anything you can do to reduce the bureaucracy in the federal government is where i stand personally so to me those are kind of the two big hairy deal things um pretty much everything else in here i i think is kind of going to be you know uh you know we'll see where it goes <clears throat> so what are the general reactions from the uh, intelligentsia regarding this. Well, naturally, Speaker of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy, like an overexcited tailgater whose team just made it to the playoff, gave an over-the-top victory lap speech about its passage. Here's a couple of quotes from him. Quote, America is stronger because of this bipartisan vote. Um, and two, we don't worry it. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a sec. So America is stronger because of this bipartisan vote. First off, Kevin, baby, listen. I said this before, that was barely bipartisan. I wouldn't lean on that crutch too heavily. It's not going to support that weight, okay? Like, y you got by. The real victory here is that you are a beleaguered Speaker of the House who just barely got that role. This was as much a test to make sure you could get the Republicans to be corralled into voting for this piece of legislation and prove that you could hold on to the gavel as much as it was anything else. It certainly was not a demonstration of overwhelming bipartisan support, unfortunately. But there we are. Uh, second quote here, quote, we don't worry about where the votes are going to come from. We focus on policy. And this was said in response to a reporter who had asked the question, are you worried that some of these things... Uh, some of these provisions that take away funding for environmentally friendly things and take away fees for uh, methane pollution and that sort of thing, aren't you worried that's going to cost you voters because it's going to look like you're you know, effectively pandering to oil and gas companies? And his answer was, we don't worry about where votes are going to come from. We, we focus on the policy. Um, I, I get the mentality he's trying to go for here, but I'm going to say this as um, – candidly as I can within this circle of trust of my listeners here, you guys should absolutely be worried about where the voters are coming from, okay? The Democrats certainly are, and statistically, the Republican base is shrinking dramatically. You guys have the exact inverted problem that the Democrats have. The Democrats have a tent that is getting 
much, much too big to accommodate all the different points of view that they're trying to represent. Um, on the other hand, the Republicans are doing a really bad job of bringing anybody into their tent. They're getting rid of people, they're alienating people, but they're not doing a good job of expanding it out. And eventually, within an election cycle or two, that's going to bite you in the ass. Gerrymandering can only get you so far. Um, and so, yeah, I get what you're saying. It should all be about policy and doing the right thing policy-wise. And um, if we take that at face value, I totally agree. It should all be about the policy. But you guys do need to worry about where your votes are coming from because the writing is on the wall. And, yeah, you guys you guys need to, to not be just ignoring that. And I feel like... Um, I feel like in a lot of ways you sort of have. All right, so next we've got El Presidente Biden, who um, took a minute to pry himself out of the uh, secret office on the Death Star to come out and say that it was a, quote, thinly veiled license to pollute. Now, obviously, of course, this is highly dramatized, but what do you expect? Biden has a very differing agenda on this topic, and he absolutely... Um, was not going to be for this no matter what, so it's no surprise that this is his reaction. Meanwhile, you've got Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, commonly known as AOC. That's an abbreviation I just made up. Um, she answers the question, what would Nancy Pelosi's biggest professional irritant look like? The answer is AOC. Um, so her quote was, if you give the oil and gas companies everything they want, then perhaps they will lower gas prices. It's a form of trickle-down fantasy that will not make life easier for everyday Americans. Now, the problem with what she's saying here, if, um, if I'm being candid, is she kind of strikes a point, sort of, okay? And he hear me out, okay? This is, unfortunately, a trickle-down scenario, and the reason is that nothing in this bill is going to overnight change the price that Americans are paying overnight for energy. It just isn't. That's not what this bill is doing. What this bill is doing is making it easier to do business as an oil and gas company and easier for us to be on the open market as American oil and gas companies. Um, but it doesn't actually do anything that immediately affects the price at the pump. And when you name a bill Lower Energy Cost Act, one, that's going to make people think that just passing the bastard is going to suddenly make the pumps go down by a buck and a half a, a gallon, and that's not the case. And she's hitting on something that is accurate in the sense that, yeah, this is a 6 to 12-month turnaround before you're going to really see the benefits of something like this passing from a consumer price perspective. And unfortunately, I don't think the Republicans have done a great job of making sure to communicate that to the voters. Um, and uh, unfortunately, they're letting her frame this issue. So yeah, she's kind of right on that. Now, that being said, uh, you know, I don't think this bill is going to go anywhere, and I think the Republicans know that, and, and, and we'll get there. But, yeah, that's that's an unfortunate reality that they, they kind of let her put the framing on that. Meanwhile, House Majority Leader uh, Representative Steve Scalise said in a prepared statement, voters awarded Republicans with a majority in Congress to fight President Biden's radical energy policies. We follow through with our promise to unleash American energy and restore our nation's energy independence. Okay, um, very dramatic, uh, gold medal, 
fantastic. Um, the Oscars going to love you. Unleash American energy. Yes. Um, that's what I call it when I go on dates. I unleash American energy. Um, okay. So the only uh, real note that I have here is um, – when you say, Steve, that voters awarded House Republicans with the majority in Congress, first off, you've got the majority in the House, not the Senate. Let's just be clear on that. And secondly, it is a slim fucking majority, man. Like, you guys do not have a dominant play here. You guys have, what, 5% over? Uh, that ain't a lot, okay? So it, to mirror what I said earlier, you should pay attention to where the voters are coming from, right? Um, but, yeah. Basically, the the nutshell is when it comes to reactions, uh, Republican Party is falling right in line saying that this is basically the equivalent of winning World War II. The Democrats are saying exactly what you would expect and that this is the worst possible thing that's ever happened to our country. It's worse than 9-11, Pearl Harbor, and the War of 1812 combined. Um, and here we go. Yes, it's H.R. 1, the, the, the contentious bill of the day. So how likely is this bill to pass? Uh, the answer, not very. So Chuck Schumer, the Democratic majority leader in the Senate, has said the bill is dead on arrival. It's doubtful the bill will even be brought to the floor for a vote. And even if it were brought to the floor on a vote, the Democrats have the tiniest sliver of a 51 to 49 majority. And assuming everyone votes on party lines, it's for sure dead. Even assuming the Republicans managed to flip a couple of Democrats into taking their side and passing this thing, that still relies on it going to President Biden, um, who has already announced that should this bill arrive at his desk in its current form, he will veto it, no question. And, um, of course, that's caused a lot of hand-wringing around the conservative side of the House going, oh, they should at least consider it, they should at least think about it, this is, this is outrageous, you know, all of that. Uh, but the reality of it is I think Biden's words told us exactly what we already kind of know in our hearts in its current form, in its current form. Yeah, if it gets there in its current form, it's dead. It's never going to get there in its current form, just not very likely. What do I think is probably going to happen? Well, you know, for just some crazy guy who's got a podcast, here's my thoughts on the situation. Realistically, I think the Republicans put this out there for two or three reasons. I think, one, it was a field test to see how well McCarthy could hold together the Republican uh, conference and push a piece of legislation through, especially one that was a centerpiece platform that their party campaigned on in the last election. Again, they didn't roll into office with a massive red wave. So the thing that they – one of the planks that they built, they needed to move the ball on at least a little bit or look like they're trying to move the ball on it. And it would test McCarthy, who is, you know, barely managed to get a hold of the gavel as speaker, uh, to make sure he could keep the party together and move something, which, you know, he did. Um, secondly, I think this is very much a way to go back to their donors, which, let's be honest, the House uh, Majority Leader, as well as the Speaker, as well as several key members of Congress have very significant donors from the oil and gas realm. Um, and I think it was a way to go back to their donors and say, hey, listen, we're trying to advance um, the cause of American energy. Um, am I cynical in thinking that you know American energy independence is probably third or fourth on the list? Yeah, probably. But whatever, progress is progress, right? At any rate, um, I also think that perhaps most notably, this is an opening bid. This is them throwing out a bill that has sort of the wish list of what they would like to do. 
and they know for a fact that there's provisions that are absolutely never going to make it. What this is is them firing off an opening salvo of what they think their plan is, and they know the Democrats are going to shoot it down and come back with something else. There's going to be two or three rounds of this, and eventually by late summer or the end of the year, they'll pass something. Now, this also gives the Republicans a little something to have in the hip pocket because in summertime, gas prices are going to rise and they can then come back and say, oh, well, you know, the Democrats, they uh, they killed a bill that was called uh, Lowering Energy Costs Act and um, look at the energy costs. You know, this is all pantomime. It's all part of the show. Um, so what I think is going to happen ultimately is something along these lines. The bill is obviously never going to get read and even if it does, it'll get voted down in the um, the Senate. I think the Republicans know that, and I think we all ought to know that. What's more than likely is, though, there are certain provisions that even the Democrats want to see happen. They want easier permitting for their uh, renewables projects. They are going to want to protect some of those fees and some of those um, uh, you know, methane emissions controls. They're going to want some of those things. And so they're going to put forward the concession bill to try and bring Republicans to the table and get something across the line by offering them something they want. They'll probably open up the gates for, you know, international trade on oil and gas a bit. They'll probably give into the permitting thing because they need that too. There's going to be some middle ground they're going to pass on. And I think the Democrats, more than likely, are going to kill this with the hope of keeping it in their back pocket. Or maybe they'll just table it until we get around to um, to this time. But they're going to want to kind of hold this in their pocket. And I think they're going to want to... Uh, bring this out probably in the next couple months once we hit the uh, the next debt ceiling negotiation, right? Because right now the Republicans need uh, the Democrats need something to use as leverage to get the Republicans to not fight them on raising the debt ceiling and to uh, not hassle them too much on military aid to Ukraine. Uh, there's starting to be a lot of Republican. Republican pushback on that. Um, there's almost assuredly going to be a fight on the debt ceiling because there always is because that's just how we run this country now. Um, and the Democrats are going to want something that they can use as a bargaining chip to get the Republicans to to work with them on that. And I think this permitting stuff, this permitting situation and the, the exports for liquid natural gas, I think that is what they are holding on to and that's what they're going to use it for. In my opinion, what do I know? I'm just some guy. But if I had to call it, that's how I think they're going to do this. I think you're going to see this kind of fade away into the background, and then I think it's going to come back up in some way, shape, or form with those provisions being key once we get around to the next uh, contentious piece of legislation the, Dem- the Democrats need to move. So that's my, that's my assumption of how this is going to go. We'll see. We'll see. I would bet uh, an amount um, up to two U.S. dollars on it. So, uh, you know, a lot of money riding high on this. Anyway, like I said, this is, um, this is from an article that came out with um, uh, the Empowerment Alliance, our sponsor. So if you want to see more content uh, like this in their newsletter, please go subscribe to it. Link in the show notes. And, um, you know, they got a lot of other uh, interesting articles out there. So if that's to your taste, by all means, check it out. And we'll, of course, be doing our regularly scheduled programming uh, as well this week. This was just a little little bonus episode for our sponsor here. So um, check them out and stay tuned. Meanwhile, uh, this is Jordan Driscoll reminding you that this is Jordan Driscoll. I'll catch you on the next one. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.